everybody. Welcome to another episode of Innovation Tech Talks presented by Omron, a leader in healthcare technology. I'm your host. You're chopping it up with Chuck Warner. I'm the editor-in-chief here, and we have a very, very special guest today. Um, we've been talking a lot lately about uh, collectibles, about NFTs, about what's going on, Web 3.0. It's a really exciting time. So we've got an expert here from one of the biggest, uh, probably one of the biggest players in the space, Panini America, and we have with us today, Jason Howarth, the VP of Marketing. Jason, welcome to Innovation Tech Talks. Hey guys, how are you doing? Hey, it's great to have you, man. By the way, congratulations for working for such a cool company. <laughs> Thanks. It, it, it makes life fun for sure. I know, right? When people say, make sure you do what you love, you know, I mean, is it safe to assume that you love, uh, you know, collectibles and, and everything that Panini's all about? It depends on the day, but yes, for most days, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> can you, uh, for, for the people that are listening that aren't familiar right now, you know, can you just give them a little background on uh, uh, Panini America, you know, kind of what, what the history is and, and what you guys are, are, are really known for? Yeah, sure. So Panini is the world's largest sports and entertainment collectibles company. Uh, started back in 1961 by four brothers in Modena, Italy with the last name Panini. Uh, so that's where the name comes from. Uh, and then they launched the first FIFA World Cup sticker collection in 1970. And we've produced that every year uh, or every four years since 1970, including the one that's coming up this year for 2022. Uh, that'll be out in the market in September. It's a global phenomenon, really fun and exciting collection. We're, we're constantly talking about it even this early uh, in the game planning for, you know, the, that tournament in November. So uh, that's that was kind of the impetus to start it all. And then uh, in 2009, they bought Donruss Trading Cards. If you grew up as a you know a kid of the 80s, you know Donruss Trading Cards very well. Yep. Um, that's me as well. The first the first memory I have of collecting cards was you know chasing that you know 1987 uh, Donruss Bo Jackson rated rookie. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and can visualize every element of that card in my head now at 47 years old still. <laughs> so, um, you know, bought Donruss trading cards in 2009 and became the exclusive trading card partner of the NBA. Um, and then also became a partner of the NFL and the NFL Players Association as well that same year. Uh, and we've continued to grow and mature the business. Now we're exclusive with the NFL and the NFL Players Association, exclusive with the NBA and the NBA Players Association. Uh, we are just hitting year one of our relationship with UFC. Um, so we had a great first year with them, just exponential growth for the UFC uh, world in trading cards. I'm excited to introduce our, our first product for 2022 uh, next week with UFC Prism. Uh, and then we're rolling into, um, you know, we've got exclusives with NASCAR and coll uh, collegiate. So over 200 colleges, all the colleges that matter uh, in the space we're partners with. Uh, and then rolling into FIFA World Cup. And literally in a month, we will be introducing our first WWE trading card product. Wow. Yeah. Dude, congratulations. You guys have the, you have your bases covered. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And then to add to that, we, we launched our NFT platform in January of 2020, which I know that we'll talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that seems kind of a little bit early compared to the, uh, you know, the craziness that's going on right now uh, when it comes to NFTs. But um, just tell the audience real quick, what's your role there as the uh, as the VP of marketing? 
Um, I'm the vice president of marketing, so I work on all across all of our properties. You know, over a hundred trading card products a year. Um, you know, work across those properties in terms of promoting them and marketing them. Uh, working with the leagues and the players associations as well as the players, uh, and then new initiatives like you know launching our uh, NFT platform, uh, launching our social media platforms in China uh, in 2019. So. You know, pretty much all, you know, all purpose back to use a football term. <laughs> yeah, man, you got to wear a lot of hats, but uh, that's that's really cool. So that's what our, makes marketing fun, right? I know. I know. Right. And uh, so where did where did you go to school? How did you get into this? I'm sure a lot of people, you know, you have a dream job like I alluded to earlier. How'd you how'd you get your start? For sure. Uh, so I went to Boston University uh, and went to the College of Communications, majored in PR there. Um, and I had this amazing professor uh, who has since passed, but uh, Professor Jack Fala, who was a sports guy, uh, wrote for Sports Illustrated for years. If you wanted to take his class, you either had to be ready and awake at 8 a.m. in the morning, and that's tough for college kids. But he believed <laughs> if you wanted it bad enough, you'd show up for the class. So um, I was one of those students um, and then also took a number of his other classes in my senior year at BU. Uh, just so happened to coincide with the NHL All-Star Game. Uh, and he had, you know, gave us the opportunity to go out and help out uh, during the NHL All-Star Game as they were looking for interns. Um, so I jumped in and uh, did that All-Star Game weekend and thought, wow, if I could ever marry sports and PR, I'd have the dream job. Yeah. And so went set went out and set course and trying to find it, the right fit um, after college, couldn't find it, ended up in an, an investor relations firm because you got to pay bills. Um, <laughs> and then joined a sports PR agency in New York City uh, about two years after graduating. And that's been the path ever since. So that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. You kind of manifested it. <laughs> you know, you're yeah. like, I, if I could do this, this would be pretty awesome. And then here you are. And then you just kind of dial yourself in to try to figure out how you get there, right? So yeah, yeah, you kind of reverse engineer it. Um, yeah. So let me ask you, like, let's go, let's go ahead and and just dive right into the state of the state. Um, what would you say the state of collecting cards is right now? I'd be lying, but the the absolute truth is, you know, it is. I mean, you'd expect me to say this, but the absolute truth is that the trading card category has never been more healthier than it is right now, uh, both at the hobby shop level, um, at the mass retail level, level with retailers like Target and Walmart and Dick Sporting Goods, and you know, and so on, um, you know, and then in the online space, and so, you know. Um, the uh, across all sports. So, yeah. you know, great, great, great strength in the NBA and the NFL, great strength with UFC and the growth that we've seen there in the last year, you know, NASCAR, you name it. So, um, you know, and the power of our brands, whether that be, you know, our prism brand, which is just an absolute monster in the trading card space, you know, globally, uh, we do that product across all sports. Um, you know, so there's cohesiveness in terms of a level of expectation in terms of what you're getting with that product. Yeah. Um, first product we launched with UFC last year at this time was UFC Prism. Um, you know, and we basically tripled the forecast numbers overnight when we announced that that would be the first pro first product. Um, and the first WWE product that we introduce uh, next month will be Prism. Uh, before we roll into some of our other brands. So, you know, great market, um, 
marketplace to get into. Uh, if you remember uh, collecting as a kid, the market is completely different. We have, you know, rarities on our cards now, which drive high value dollars. Um, you know, on the secondary market, if you happen to pull, you know, a really popular athlete, um, autographs on the trading cards, you know, memorabilia and cut up and incorporated into the trading cards, you name it, it's all there. So, and, and how would you describe Prism to the people that aren't familiar? Uh, is it kind of like your, your top echelon, the most, uh, you know, uh, uh, desired cards because of the, 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 it's interesting. So the, you know, the genesis of Prism was really kind of to be a, you know, a, it's on a holographic metallic foil that really kind of when you change it and turn it in light, you, yeah. you get this Prism, you know, feel to it with different colorations popping out based on the lighting. And so, you know, we introduced that at the hobby side and on the mass retail side is a, you know, is a, um, is a product to just cater to that audience that was really into the technology side of the cards. Um, and that product would retail for, you know, $10 a pack, um, mm-hmm. you know, and 150 to $200 a box. Well, our UFC prison product that's launching right now, I mean, that that product at releases were is a thousand dollars a box now it's become so popular so um you know i would say that that you know in our mind as we look at our portfolio of of uh products in terms of volume and in terms of you know brand you know we we kind of put that at like or i shouldn't say brand but you know in terms of volume in terms of consumer we put that as like a mid-tier brand and then we have a higher end product like flawless that sells for you know, in the normal world, you know, $5,000 a box, it comes in a steel briefcase, there are diamonds embedded in it, jewels embedded in it, and then you'll find, you know, uh, 24 ounces of uh, silver in it, you know, 14 karat gold, you know, embedded into it, you name it, uh, the best of the best, all numbered to, you know, 25 or less, um, all, almost all the cards are, um, hand signed so the player actually get the player whether they're a current player or an athlete or a retired guy physically signs the card we send the physical card or we sit down with the player and they sign you know the physical you know sign it there as opposed to you know getting the autograph embedded in a sticker on the card or you know other ways of you know incorporating the autograph into the into the trading card got it so okay so let me ask you this because i <clears throat> i collected as a kid yep. Still got a, a shoebox with some of my, you know, favorite cards. And every once in a while I would go and, you know, check the values, you know, in a Beckett or something like that. And I was utterly shocked at how a lot of those old cards that I had were not worth as much as I thought they were going to be, you know, and I had them saved away. So, you know, I didn't really think much about card collecting, but yeah. something happened a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden there was Gary V talking about about yep. uh cards right yep. and he's been on the on the cover of our magazine we've interviewed him and stuff like that yep. talking no about Gar- things no Gary well yeah yeah and uh you know um there was the pandemic you know yep. so so people were at home and uh you know I don't know if they if they just started dusting off their their collectibles they had a little time on their hands or what but why does it seem like a couple years ago that card collecting came back, particularly sports cards came back in a yeah. massive way after for a while, it just seemed like a lot of people like me, those old collectors were out of the game where all of a yeah. sudden we were back in. What well, what the heck Chris, happened there? 
the 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 short answer is great product development and great marketing. Yes, I, um, boom. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'll expand on that. You know, I teed you uh, up for that. <laughs> yeah, I know it was perfect layout. Um, but no, you know, I'm I'm a product of the same age as you you are yeah. the the 80s and and you know we we dreamt that those cards would become super valuable. We all thought that they would, but the challenge was or our you know the problem was is that you know there wasn't enough scarcity in the marketplace the manufacturers you know basically just oversaturated the marketplace and they became completely you know not valuable there are still cards from that era that sure. are super valuable you think about the jordan flair card and people go bonkers over that one right because but also because you know basketball wasn't collected to the level that it's collected now right yeah uh, in the 80s uh, i wish i collected basketball cards in the 80s i did and yeah. i collected baseball and football you yeah know? me too and me so, too you know so you know you have that element and then is you know is what's happened is the marketplace kind of evolved you know i mentioned you know the incorporation of autographs the incorporation of memorabilia you know creating other elements of rarity and value within the card whether that be with our flawless brand and you've got diamonds embedded in it like i said you know those types of things that started to pick up and create this modern day value that mm-hmm. was more valuable than the 89 90s junk wax errors how they yeah. refer to that year you know that year unfortunately those were the years that we were kids um i wish i was a kid now um, yeah. <laughs> but you know collecting cards and understanding that instead of flipping reggie jackson cards on the back porch with my you know you know with my friend and losing cards you know yeah one, you'd never flip a card now um but you know so you had all that and then what happened was you know you start to get the cycle where you know, rookies tend to drive the category, um, you know, in every sport, um, you know, culminating with, you know, the introduction and, you know, the acceptance of, you know, powerful brands like Prism, introduction mm-hmm. of brands like Select, um, you know, and Donruss Optic, which is a take on, you know, old school Donruss and, you know, um, the, you know, the foil and the metallic type vibe that you get out of some of those other brands. Uh, so you've got all those things coming together and, you know, I'll, I'll use it from a bass, you know, I think in terms of like, when I think of years, I think of rookie classes. Yeah. Uh, so I, you, I wouldn't know the year, but I'd be like, Oh, that rookie class, you know? So as you start to think about it, you know, I always equate it to, and I'll use basketball and I'm from Boston. If you hadn't noticed Tom Brady sitting behind <laughs> me over every call. Um, but you know, I always equated to the Jason Tatum year is that year that there started to be this moment momentum in the, in, you know, with that rookie class where people were starting to get really excited about the basketball trading card category, you know, in a much bigger way than we had seen before. Mm-hmm. And then you follow that up with the Trey young, Luka Doncic, Doncic year, people go crazy. Right. Um, and then you follow that up with the John ja Morant, um, Zion Williamson class, yeah. Um, and Jaws absolutely on fire. Uh, so, you know, you follow those up with three consecutive years and football is chugging along, having great rookie classes. All well, all this craziness is happening w- around our prison brand from a global perspective. I mean, you know, people talk about the pandemic is like a is, a, um, you know, is a fuel to the fire. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's entirely that. I mean, in 2019, you know, we knew that um, we needed to start really thinking about the China marketplace differently. 
because mm-hmm. we started getting a lot of collectors that were interested in our product there. So we went over there in 2019. You know, we launched our social media platforms on Kobe Bryant's birthday in 2019, never knowing that six months later, you know, he would die in a helicopter crash and we'd be hit with a pandemic for the next two and a half years and counting however you want to look at that, right? So we launched our social platforms there in China in 2019. We launched our direct-to-consumer platforms there in 2019. And we're always pushing that Panini's always been pushing the evolution of the marketplace, you know, and, and we've always subscribed to the theory of, you know, let collectors collect how they want to collect, whether that be physical collections, whether that be digital collections, whether that be new opportunities. So we've always kind of looked at that, you know, uh, from that point of view. And, you know, you mentioned that, you know, January 2020 was kind of early for, for blockchain. We started thinking about that in 2018. Like, what's the value that blockchain could bring to, wow. you know, the trading card category? You know, another level of authenticity, another level of security, knowing where the best cards are. You know, when you've got thousands of packs of cards all over the world, you have no idea unless someone decides to go on social media, whether they pull the one of one, you know, John Morant from his rookie year, or the one of one Luka Doncic. You know, when you start bringing in levels of, you know, blockchain um, into the category and into the space, and we're not there yet entirely. Um, but when you start bringing that in there, you can start to track the value of those cards and who has those cards and how to go about, you know, potentially acquiring those cards, you know, long term. So, you know, that's how we started to look at the blockchain platform in January of 2020. Um, but all of those things created the snowball effect. And then the other thing that I'd say is, you know, case breaking, um, which is basically people sitting on video streams, opening up cases and cases of our product and showing it off to fans and people basically, you know, buying into a case break. So that, you know, that, you know, $5,000 suitcase of yeah. flawless, which is, you know, at the time, you know, a dollars $30,000 case, my wife would kill me if I bought a $30,000 case of anything, yeah. uh, let alone trading cards. You know, now you have access to buy in at a lower price point. And in the case of the NFL, you know, 32 NFL teams, there'd be 32 spots in the case breaking and that it would be randomized. So you you might get the New York Jets. I might get the New England Patriots um, or you might get the Jacksonville Jaguars and I might get the New England Patriots. Well, you know, last year would have been a great year for the Jacksonville Jaguars because you know, every card that comes out of that case that's a Jaguar goes to you. So you're getting the Trevor Lawrence rookie. You're getting the Travis Etienne rookie. I'm getting lucky that I finally have a an, another quarterback after 20 years, which I thought might take a little bit longer. Yeah. I, again, kid of the 80s, I grew up with, you know, Hugh Millen is my starting New England Patriot quarterback. Not Solak. Not the GOAT. Yeah, yeah, not the GOAT for 20 years like my kids did. Yeah. So I had Dave Craig in Seattle, so. Yeah. I, I remember yeah. collecting Dave Craig cards too. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, so you, you have all those things kind of creating this momentum and the snowball effect mm-hmm. and then people staying at home and wanting to be able to act, want, wanting to be able to interact with people, yeah. no sports going on. Right. And case breaking is a perfect platform. The most, you know, socially distant thing that you could do sitting on your couch at 1130 at night while your family's asleep opening up packs of cards with a bunch of people that love trading cards and love sports. Yeah. So you had all of those things kind of come into that space and that's really where we are today. You know, something else too. And and that's, I appreciate you kind of 
peeling the layers back. So we see, you know, it's, it's social media. It was, you know, we had some time on our hands. There were big influencers that were doing it, you know, just all these, this confluence of things. But I think something else that I noticed too, was that parents and fathers like my age and your age, we all of a sudden had something uh, that we could really connect with our kids with, you know what I mean? Like it was something that getting our kids into it where maybe they weren't before all of a sudden we had this special bond and it became a thing, you know, that we could do together. And it, uh, you know, I know a lot of, um, you know, people my age that got into it with their kids that are maybe, you know, 10, 11, something like that. Uh, heck I even saw in a, uh, 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 it was a documentary on HBO or something where they had um, Mark Wahlberg and he was busting packs with his kids. You know what I mean? Yep. And they had, Oh my God, they had just boxes of cards and stuff like that. Yep. But I think there was a real, it was a real bonding opportunity for kids that maybe weren't, you know, into collecting cards and, and especially maybe weren't even into sports where all of a sudden uh, boom, you know, you had something really cool and the kids were hooked. Yeah. And, and even more so the parent, the, the dad being able to connect to their kid because they're not engaged on video games the way kids are or, you know, music TikTok or whatever music. You know. Yeah. You know, yeah. Social so there's media. this one level of, you know, being able to, you know, connect that's, you know, very innocent and, you know, all exciting. I always say like, you know, as a marketer, you know, dream job, like the product that you have in your hand, no matter how old you are, you put a, a pack of cards in someone's hand and the the first thing they're thinking is like oh my god what's inside mm-hmm. you know and then they open up the pack of cards and you know they get a player from their favorite team and it doesn't matter how old they are they're ecstatic because it's their favorite team or they get the hot rookie and they're like oh my god and it doesn't matter whether you've collected cards ever that that experience that emotion that you that's that's created when you open up a pack of cards it's incomparable. And so, you know, we push into that, you know, from a Panini point of view to really highlight that. And, you know, we talked about that father son connection. Um, In 2012, we introduced a program to hobby stores, you know, nationwide, you know, around father's day. And the whole idea was, you know, getting the kid, getting the dad who might go into the store by himself, Mm. you know, because he used to collect as a kid, bringing his kid with him and, you know, connecting on that level and being able to do that. And so we've done that every year, you know, Father's Day has become this year, you know, this time for hobby shops to bring fathers and kids together and, you know, open up packs and just share the, you know, the natural joy with it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I think about, you know, connecting to my son and, you know, when he was a little bit younger, Pokemon Go had just started. Uh And, Literally, we would drive around for two and a half hours and go to Pokemon Go stops. Like, I didn't care about Pokemon Go. Yeah. You know, other to see, like, other than to see how it was working, like, because I'm a marketer. Uh-huh. But my kid loved it. You know, we spent two, three hours of time playing, you know, playing Pokemon Go. We'd stop and get snacks and eat and just enjoy each other, you know, as opposed to, you know, not being able to have that connection because he's playing video games and I'd rather be doing something else. Yeah. So, you know, that whole experience and bringing that collectability together. Cause you know, that's another thing like, you know, we, the, we use the hashtag, who do you collect? Because everybody collects something or someone. Yeah. And so really driving into that as well. And, and so that's been, you know, it, it's, it's been really fun to see the evolution of the space. I joined Panini in 2010. 
um, you know, that came into the U.S. marketplace in the spring of 2009. I was actually on the agency side at that point, and Panini was my client. Yeah. So I've, I've I've seen it from the very beginning where people, you know, didn't under like, oh, they still make trading cards. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. now you, you know, they've got people sleeping outside of Targets, yeah, you know, because they want to get trading cards. <laughs> so you know, to see that just that you know in that distance of time has been really cool to see. Yeah. And I got one more question before we get to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the state of the state and NFTs. But, um, you know, that's a thing where I got interested in these and I started, you know, getting, getting curious about this, you know, getting back into the hobby and I couldn't find the damn cards. (laughs) And it was like, it was like, you know, uh, it was like trying to find toilet paper during the pandemic, right? It was, they were rationing and target, you know, they, uh, you come there and there was like a waiting list and, you know, it was, yeah. it was the weirdest experience ever. Uh, target stopped selling them for a while. Like they just yeah, said, we're not true. even going to deal with this anymore. Yeah. Uh, can you just kind of allude to what, you know, what was going on the retail yeah. side? I mean, you're, you're not, exag- you're, you're not exaggerating when you said it was as hard to get as toilet paper. I mean, it yeah. literally was, they had a list that I, there were, someone had sent a photo of like, you know, you can only get two rolls of toilet paper and one box of trading cards and, you know, one hand sanitizer and all this other stuff. I literally took a picture of it and sent it to my mom. And I was like, this is what this, when you say you don't understand what's happening with trading cards here, you yeah. know how you don't have to- toilet paper right now, you're desperate for it. Well, same thing's happening in the trading card space. And then boom, everyone understands it. Wow. But yeah, it was absolutely insane. And, and you know, it's, I, I use the, um, you know, analogy, you mentioned Target, you know, you know, taking it off the shelves. And, um, you know, that was certainly challenging on a number of fronts. And we, we had to balance through that. And I think we've all learned from, from that. And I, but, you know, Target is used to, you know, having, you know, a singular one day Black Friday event. Yeah. Right. Or the launch of a PS2 or an Xbox, right? One day, boom, it's gone, it's done, right? Then, then it's done. Well, every single week, new <laughs> products are coming and hitting the shelves. They, they're getting Black Friday every week. Yeah. You know, they're not built, their teams aren't built for that. They're, they're built for like, okay, we can do this for one day where it's all hands on deck. Yeah. You know, as opposed to it happening once every single week, er, you know, for the entire year. Um, you know, and then when that product releases, you know, as consumers starting to figure out like, okay, product hits the shelves on this day. So this is when I'm going to go, you know, then, then you get this pent up demand where people are lining up because they know when the product's going to be on the shelf. You and know, that and fuels target, more demand because you, know, you yeah. start seeing it on social media and yeah. people are complaining about it and you're seeing big lines and you're like, wait a minute, I'm missing out on something. So it, it just yeah. fuels and, more demand. You know, that, it's, that a bless- it's, it's a blessing and a curse, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you, you think of it, we talked about the eighties, nineties junk wax era. We don't ever want to go there, you know? No. And so we've purposely been very, you know, made sure that when we build a product, there's a level of scarcity in, you know, in the product so that there's value long-term for the product. You know, you need value long term, but yet you still need to work on, you know, managing the demand. And there, that's a that's a balancing act that literally our team faces every day. Wow. OK, we're going to take a quick break right now. we got to pay the bills around here. We've got a quick <laughs> message from our sponsors at Omron Healthcare, and then we'll be right back. We've got Jason Howarth. We are talking about Panini. We're going to talk about the state of the state and NFTs. We'll be right back on this episode of Innovation Tech Talks. Today's episode of Innovation Tech Talks is brought to you by Omron. 
Omron is a world leader in technology designed to solve social issues, improve lives, and build a better tomorrow. They serve a range of industries which utilize their technologies to innovate and grow factory automation, healthcare, mobility, and energy management. In the industrial automation business, Omron technology demonstrates the power of machines to unleash human potential, pursuing the ideal in automation, in which people and machines are working together in harmony. Omron provides sensing, control, safety, vision, motion, and robotics technologies for the automotive, food and beverage packaging, semiconductor, electronics, life sciences, and infrastructure industries. For over 80 years, Omron has helped industrial businesses maximize potential by solving problems with creativity. Learn more, go to automation.omron.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. You are chopping it up with Chuck here with Jason Howarth of Panini America on Innovation Tech Talks brought to you by Omron. And um, okay, so so Jason, we know NFTs are here. They're everywhere. You guys were way early. You saw an opportunity with the blockchain. You knew that there was something here. Uh, it's perfect for collectibles because, you know, you, uh, you have the unique, you know, serial number and you have this uh, were you guys the first and, and did you know it would be as big as, I mean, I don't even think it's gotten there yet. I think it's still <laughs> getting there. Uh, what, what were your internal discussions like? So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we started thinking about blockchain in uh -huh. 2018 and when we started thinking about it and then, you know, fast forward to 2020, when we launched our first, when we launched our private blockchain platform on our website at PaniniAmerica.net. Yeah. You know, in January of 2020, you know, we started thinking about like, okay, how do we engage the consumer? How do we help them understand blockchain? And what are the steps that we need to do to get them to understand that? All of the steps were not things we we really liked. You know, it was like, okay, we have to go tell them to get a crypto wallet. Then we have to go tell them to buy a cryptocurrency, but we can't tell them which one to buy, you know? And, you know, then they've got to figure out all that stuff. And now they're finally ready to buy one of our products. Like, no, 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 we need to get path to buy the product. So, you know, we decided that we would, you know, block on, on our blockchain platform, you know, introduce, you know, that to to consumers where they could buy in U.S. currency. Mm -hmm. So even today, um, you know, you can still buy our, our NFTs on our blockchain platform at PaniniAmerica.net in U.S. currency. In the next six weeks, we will be starting starting to accept forms of cryptocurrency is another form of payment. So if you want to pay in Ethereum or Solana or Bitcoin, mm. um, you know, I, great if you decide to pay in Bitcoin, but, you know, I don't think anyone's buying anything in Bitcoin right now. Um, you know, they're just holding. Yeah. But, you know, or any of the other, you know, more popular cryptocurrencies, you'll be able to do that on our platform. But when we launched it in January of 2020, no one was talking about, you know, the non-fungible token part of the blockchain. Yeah. You know, NFTs. Right. We're, we're like, OK, that's just the engine that makes the train run down the track of blockchain. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's just what you need to have to live on the blockchain and be able to carry that and form additional chains and you know create this history around that asset. So we didn't we we didn't even focus on talking about non fungible tokens. We, we didn't even want to confuse a consumer. Yeah. We're just like blockchain technology is here. Here's the value. Here's what you do with it. And to introduce it, we launched a, a hundred card set, um, you know, of the best athletes across all sports. Uh, and yes, we were the first to do it, um, you know, in January of 2020. But we launched it with um, the best athletes in a hundred, you know, across all sports, and we tied it to a physical card. 
So you, you know, consumers and collectors understood the value of the physical card. Yeah. You know, when you have an autograph, you know, Kobe Bryant or John Morant or you name it, um, you know, in the, you know, product uh, as a physical card, you know what the value of that card is, you know, from a physical point of view. You might not fully understand what the value is of the digital asset that's tied to it. Yeah. But at least you understand that there's a value and now there's a premium to it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's how we went through and started to explain and educate the consumer. And as we started to progress, you know, in, in the platform, you know, we started selling, you know, just purely NFT assets or purely blockchain assets, you know, no physical card tied to it. Um, you know, that was another mechanism in terms of. And it was of, like, a, know, like a digital uh, replica of a, of a oh, physical card, right? It wasn't a play. Exactly. It wasn't. Exactly. Okay, got it. Exactly. It, it was just a, a digital, you know, digital, you know, asset that, w- yeah. that looked like the physical card. Got and it. so we did that. And then we also inserted um, codes in some some of our products where we said, hey, you've just acquired this this digital a- blockchain asset. Go to our website, enter in this code and see which card you got. And, you know, you might have pulled the Kyler Murray rookie card, you know, in that case. And so, you know, you had all those things that, that we started to introduce. And then in July of, uh, I have to remind myself, it seems like two years of like, you know, <laughs> gone by like that. Um, but in July of 2021, we introduced the pack format because what we found was when we were selling the individual digital assets, the cost per entry was, you know, twelve hundred dollars, you know, mm-hmm. give or take, you know, which is a high cost of entry for someone as you're trying to get them into this, you know, on a mainstream point of view and acceptance. Yeah, so, it almost squeezes out the average, the average collector. Exactly. And so we we've always been a believer that we wanted to replicate the physical experience that we talked about earlier of sharing that joy of opening up a pack and that experience of what's inside and the reveal of the card and all those other things. And so, you know, we weren't able to do that on the individual card side of it. And and then in July of 2021, we launched the pack format starting with the NBA. um, And it really replicated the physical experience where you open up the pack of cards on the site and you've got, you know, three to five cards that are there. And, you know, you, you touch it and it flips over and now all of a sudden you know who you have and you keep going. And we've elevated that experience and continue to do that all along the way um, here. But we launched in July of 2021 with the, with the NBA packs and we followed that up with Major League Baseball Players Association and then followed that up with UFC, um, you know, then launched the NFL packs. Um, during the season and where, you know, we just launched the French Soccer League and our um, you know, on our site um, as well. And then we'll, we'll be rolling into FIFA World Cup, you know, NFTs here, you know, in the next few months as well. So, and, and that cadence continues to build because, you know, they're replicating the experiences and, you know, the, the, physical, car, the physical card side. So we have so many different dynamic, you know, products that we can launch into the NFT space as a result. So where are the cards uh, printed? Do you guys have one place that you print them all? Uh, the physical cards yeah. are printed uh, in the U.S. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, and thankfully, like a- you know, the, the the primary facility is is here in Texas, which is where Panini is located. So, okay. you know, we have the ability to have, you know, members of our team, you know, constantly over at the print facility to make sure things are going the way they need to go, to make sure, you know, as we're rolling out, you know, the higher value products that everything is getting into the product the way it needs to get into. Um, you know, from a system point of view. 
That's great. And so the landscape right now, um, like, like, uh, I don't know. I think I just heard that like tops got bought by fanatics and it seems yep. like they're moving into the card space. What's kind of just a, a snapshot of who are the big players right now in the space uh, of physical and, and digital. Yeah. Physical, um, you know, it's still us and, and tops quite honestly. I mm-hmm. mean, we, we don't really, you know, we focus on what we do. Sure. Um, and, and not really think about that. But if you're like looking at licenses, mm-hmm. you know, which is probably the easiest way to compare that to someone that's not really in the space is that, you know, Tops has the Major League Baseball license, um, you know, in addition to MLBPA exclusively um, until I want to say 2023, I believe, um, you know, and then we've got, you know, and we've also got rights from an MLBPA point of view. So we produce baseball cards, but we don't produce them with uh, MLB logos or marks. Got it. Um, you know, but we utilize the players. So then we have the exclusive on the NFL and the NFL Players Association. And that is a, you know, we've got an agreement with them for, you know, a pretty long runway from here till now um, before anything else changes in the marketplace. Uh, same thing on the NBA and the NBA Players Association side. Same thing with NASCAR um, and UFC. As I mentioned, we're just going into year two. We're rolling into WWE uh, with our first product in April. Um, and then we also do the collegiate products and the FIFA World Cup products. So, um, you know, that's from a trading card perspective. And then obviously we've got other rights, you know, across sports and entertainment, you know, with soccer leagues all over the world. Oh man, you got, yeah, you guys are everywhere. So would you, I mean, would you, would you consider these, these cards art? 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think about the cards that we collected in the eighties, you know, they weren't the prettiest, very different uh, now. And I think that's, what's also driving the dynamic, right? The dynamic Uh in the space is that, you know, these are, this is art. Like, you know, we've got cards that, you know, yeah. Yeah, you get that, and then we have this. We have this. Um, we have this insert called Color Blast, and it's got like this kind of smoke that kind of, kind of comes out behind the player. Has a whole bunch of different colors to it. You know, super super popular um, in the space. And you know, when we launched, when we announced uh, John Morant is an exclusive athlete, as he extended his deal with us after his rookie year, um, also in 2021, um, or actually 2020 um, was when we launched that. Um, but, you know, we basically decided that we we're going to take that color blast trading card and uh, paint a mural on the side of a building in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, a pizza place about two blocks uh, called Slim and Huskies, about two blocks from the FedEx Forum. And we used a local artist there to basically bring that trading card to life on a 30 foot building. Um, and, you know, people walk by it, people take their pictures in front of it. You know, now they celebrate after every great jaw game you know, there. And, you know, you would, if you were just, you know, a casual person who didn't, you know, trading cards existed, like you would just think, wow, that's a beautiful piece of art. That's actually one of our trading cards. So, you know, you've got those and you've got all these other popular inserts now that have, you know, so many different design elements to them, you know, and then you incorporate technology like the metallic foils and how they're utilized and how they reflect in the light and all those other things. It, It definitely is art. I, you know, we always say that, you know, we've taken the the printing process and we've made it the most complicated thing you could possibly ever do. And then, oh, yeah, our canvas is two and a half by three and a half inches of cardboard. Yeah. Like, literally. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's great. And I, I just think it's, I think it's really cool that there's been such a resurgence that, you know, you're tapping in with technology, you're, you're utilizing the blockchain, you know, these, these technologies have been here for a minute and we've been trying to figure out how to utilize them. And we're just starting to see, you know, the, the infancy of, uh, you know, where this technology is and how it can be applied. Where do you see this going? Say in, you know, five years or 10 years, you know, the Jason's crystal ball, uh, where do you see, where do you see this going? Yeah. So, I mean, like from an NFT point of view, I, I think we are just scratching the surface and I think there's a lot of stuff out there in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, everyone automatically thinks they hear like the big story numbers on NFTs, you know, and, and not everything is built that way. You know, and I right. think there's some have, out there you know, that, you know, people are seeing uh, some out there, you know, if you look at like these, these apes and these, these crypto punks that are going for, it's a status symbol. And some of them are going for, you for know, sure. uh, 800,000, you know, a million dollars yeah. for an NFT. Uh, so there, it's, it's, it's a crazy, it's the wild, wild west. It's crazy. Out yeah, there. it is. It is. And so I think what you're going to see is there's a couple of things. So one in the marketplace, mm-hmm. you know, there is this, you know, this just explosion of NFTs, everyone in everyone on earth wants to create NFTs. Um, You know, you need to be, you know, educated and try to, you know, hedge your bet or, you know, look into it more to figure out what, what's going to be the ones that are long-term and sustainable, Uh right? Because there's going to be a ton like the dot-com boom that we lived through. And when that bubble burst, right, there's going to be some that are just all over the place. And then it's going to just, you know, Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so those things are going to and some of those things are going to disappear, you know, and so that's what we're really focused on from a Panini perspective is building long term sustainability in the market. And, you know, I think we've got a number of things that go really well for us in doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's already this level of acceptance of the value of trading cards in our physical product and in our brands. And so when we're bringing that into the NFT space, you know, you've already got that knowing that there's this value and this heritage and this hi- history as opposed to just, you know, creating something and then hoping it, you know, you catch lightning in a bottle, right? Like, you know, there's some of that that's happening in the space and, you know, and some of that will carry on and those people that can continue to evolve and kind of grow beyond just the NFT, uh-huh. I think are going to be, you know, the winners. And so those are the types of things that I think you'll see in the next five years. Um, again, that connection to us on the physical side and the, you know, and the NFT side is right there is already ingrained in our, in our platform and in our system. And then I think you're obviously going to see more acceptance of being able to collect that way. And then obviously being able to, you know, consume in cryptocurrency or whatever that may be, people getting more comfortable doing that is, you know, is wallets become more user-friendly. Yeah, frictionless or frictionless. Right now, there's a lot of steps still, and you know this, that, and the other, and uh, you need yeah. to know a bunch of phrases and this. Yeah, and, remember know. thirty phrases. I'm lucky I can even remember my password <laughs> oh to get into a, you know yeah. into a laptop. Like, remember thirty phrases. Oh my yeah. god! Like, you know, that's scary when you're thinking like the difference between me being able to access my assets. And remembering 30 phrases in case I forget my password or, you know, Apple decides to update my phone and then I'm screwed because all the passwords are gone. You got me panicking right now trying to figure out where I stashed my phrase (laughs) (laughs) for my wallet. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I think as you get more acceptance and more the, the, the wallets become more user friendly, I think that'll help as well, too. And I think, you know, 
five years from now, yeah, you know, almost everyone's going to have a digital wallet. I mean, mm-hmm. we kind of do to a certain extent, right? If you use your Apple, you know, if you use your Apple phone and your Apple iCard or whatever, yeah. right? Like, so there, we have some of that, but not to the level where we've got this crypto experience happening. Well, the, yeah. and then you've got an Apple wallet, right? Where yeah. you can store your tickets. Say you're going to a sporting event, you're flying yeah. on an airplane. You know, it's probably yeah. not that crazy to think that that would yeah. be an extension of your Apple wallet of, of all your NFTs. I think we just gave Apple an idea. I and think we, we get, did. <laughs> we, we better get like a royalty on that. Something, man, like a free phone or something. <laughs> um, hey, so the one, one more question. Uh, how do the athletes feel about these cards. You know, athletes have a lot of commitments and they have, you know, a lot of things that take up their time and stuff like that. But I would like, I would like to believe, and I think most collectors out there that athletes themselves like to have, you know, their rookie card. They like to see their stuff. What, what's kind of the behind the scenes of, uh, you know, how these, these guys feel about their cards. Is it just another thing that they do, or is it really as cool to them as it, as it kind of is to the no, collectors? I think it is cool to them. And, you know, I think that there's obviously, you know, a lot of, you know, things that are involved in, in the trading card side of it. But if, as you come in as a rookie and we've got an NFL draft here in a, in a month, we sure do. Know, um, and we're working closely with all those guys looking forward to seeing where they all land. I always say like the NFL draft is like Christmas day. You know, yeah. you want that shiny new piece that runs a four, three to be on your team, but you're too far, you know, away from being able to pick that guy, but maybe you'll get lucky all those things. Right. So, you know, very much like, you know, almost anything, you know, the the trading card and the rookie trading card is a rite of passage for a guy, you know, for an athlete. You know, as a kid, they're playing sports. They finally start to figure out like, hey, maybe I'll be good at this enough to play sports at the professional level. And so they they dream about, you know, being a college athlete. They dream about, you know, being, you know, being on the on their favorite NFL team or their favorite NBA team and being in professional sports. And is they're thinking about that in those steps, you know, there's like, oh, and maybe someday I'll have my own trading card. So, you know, that light hits that that light goes off when all of a sudden you show them their trading card for the first time where they're like, oh, my God, I made it. Yeah. It's like that validation of here I am. You know, I, I hear my name called as I'm crossing the stage. I get my Panini trading card, you know, my rookie card. And, you know, so you get that part of it. And yeah. then as, you know, as they start to evolve and rookies are, you know, uh, really super, super popular every year. So, you know, they've got a lot of commitments with us to, you know, sign autographs and, you know, get the cards and, and do all those things. And, you know, and, and so you go through that process. And then as you start to become a vet, you know, a year two guy, a year three guy, a year 10 or 20 guy, you know, you start to look at the trading card side is a bit different in terms of one, another way to connect to your fans. Uh-huh. Right. And I think, you know, one of the things and, you know, I, I mentioned Kobe earlier, you know, Kobe was our was Panini's first exclusive athlete in the U.S. Um, you know, he grew up in Italy. He understood the Panini brand, uh, loved soccer. You know, so there was just this natural connection synergy with him. And, you know, even after he retired, you know, we had people that, you know, one of our acquisitions guys, you know, Brian would would see would would see Kobe every six weeks. Uh-huh. to sign cards and Kobe didn't need to sign those cards, but he knew how it would help carry his legacy and knew how it would be able to get him to connect to fans, even when he was no longer playing. And so, you know, there are, you know, no one, no one understood that better than Kobe. 
Um, there are other guys that understand that and other guys that continue to grow and, and see that. And I think yeah. as people, you know, continue to see that and, you know, and now they're collecting cards, you know, I mean, you've got, you know, guys like Kevin Durant collecting cards, you've got, you know, Giannis collecting cards, you, you get all these guys collecting cards and getting into the space, you know, last week was crazy, you know, completely, you know, blows up on social media that Drake decides to open up 20 boxes of our Panini trading cards, you know, uh, looking for, you know, that rookie NBA logo, man, you know, from 2020, yeah. um, you know, trying to find those, find, find those cards. So, I mean, you have all those things kind of happen. And so what's happened now is that the trading card pieces almost become a part, well, has become mainstream in pop culture. So it's, you know, it is that art thing. It is the, you know, it is that connectivity. And so it's, it, you know, it's that piece of like wanting to own the best cards and wanting to own your own cards. Um, you know, I think about AJ Dillon, uh, the running back from the Green Bay Packers, who's like constantly opening up trading cards. Yeah. Um, did J- did you know, Z buy a, a, a card grading company? Didn't, didn't Who? he invest, uh, Jay-Z, did he invest in a, uh, in a company that grades the cards? Cause I thought, um, I don't know that he did. I know that KD's bought in, I think on some of that stuff. I'm not that's sure. That's hot too, right? You get your cards, yeah. you want to get them graded. It is, it is. And then, you know, and those guys, I mean, they live off of, you know, the success of our products right now, yeah. you know, which has created this influx and craziness in the grading category, you know, yeah. and, you know, and for consumers, you know, thinking like every card that they get needs to be graded if it's like a great player or even in their mind, they think it's a great player, right? Yeah. So, you know, you've got this influx and this surge that's happening at the grading companies where they literally had to like just pause and suspend, you know, receiving any more shipments so that they could get through the process. And I think like their process was like a year, a year behind or like a year wait before you could even get a card graded depending on it. Wow. That's crazy, man. Well, it's listen, it, this is, this has been so much fun. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited to continue to see what you guys have going on and the products that you put out and stuff. Um, can you let the audience know, you know, where they can find out more about Panini America or get a hold of you or, you know, here's a great opportunity for some, some shout outs and some shameless plugs. Sure. Uh, shout outs and shameless plug, plugs. Uh, PaniniAmerica.net for sure. That's where everything lives. Our blockchain platform, our online mm-hmm. store, our you know autograph memorabilia from athletes, all available right there. Um, you know you can find us on at Panini America on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm sports marketing guy um, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, so you know you can find us in all those spots. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure that we uh, that we give you a follow out there. And this uh, this episode, I think, is going to be a lot of fun when we share it out here in the next week. So, again, thank you so much for taking your time to come here and join us. It's been a fun one. And for those of you that are listening right now, uh, make sure that you follow Innovation and Tech Talks on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you like this episode, go ahead and hit the like button. Don't forget to subscribe. And, again, follow the conversation with us on social media, uh, InnoTech Today. Make sure that you check out. Uh, Jason on uh, Twitter. Did you say sports marketing guy? Yep. Dude, that's a great handle you've got there. So check him (laughs) out there on Twitter. Uh, Continue to follow the conversation. And uh, again, it's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jason. And for those of you listening, we'll see you next time on the next episode of Innovation Tech Talks.